terrors of tripping on pump. Be there! Scour the spaceways! Explore vast alien worlds! This tin right here contains the whole rigmarole. I used to smoke about an ounce of hash every day. And it made me go a little bonkers. Maybe. If I occupy his mind with more duties, I can control his space. Big fat Hi. doobies. Hi. 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 What's up, everybody? It's Saturday, December 15th, 2012. This is episode 133 of the Hotbox. My name is Matt. And I'm Kelsey. What's up, girl? <laughs> Back again another week. Uh, doing the show on Saturday instead of our usual, lately, the usual Sunday. Uh, hotboxpodcast.com slash live. We got a chat room there if you want to hang out and ask questions. Uh, on today's episode, uh, we were contacted by Leap again, and they wanted to know if we would have another person on the show. We want to talk about the the, the latest uh, f- happenings in, in Colorado and Washington with the, quote, legalization and all that. So always good to have a member of Leap on the show. Uh, this is Diane Goldstein. You may have seen her on the HuffPo. Uh, she, she's been all over the place doing... Uh, talks and and interviews so let's call her up shall we we shall through the power of skype and my internet (laughs) and this laptop hello hi diane yes you're live on the hot box how are you doing very good. Pleasure uh, pleasure to be on. Good. You're on. Uh, my name is Matt. And this is Kelsey. Hello. Uh, we do this show Hi, one, Kelsey. once How are you a doing? week here. So uh, we kind of introed you. Uh, you're with Leap. You have uh, on their page, it says, more than 20 years law enforcement, uh, numerous arrests, longtime foot soldier on the war on drugs. Uh, you joined Leap as a result of your own experiences, uh, and you Perfect. read a a book uh, written by Judge James Gray called Why Our Drug Laws Have Failed and What We Can Do About It. Uh, so today we, we were kind of talking about what happened in Washington, what happened in Colorado. Uh, it's all state-level things. Here in Montana, we had a, a initiative on the ballot to just completely destroy the medical marijuana industry uh, if it was passed, and it was. So that that was no good, but... Uh, what what have you seen in your experience? Is, is I mean, these small steps are positive, but they're still state, so federally nothing is really changing. You know what? I think it's a very complicated and nuanced subject. Um, you know, uh, Montana is really um, highlights the damages. That there's good and bad about the state's rights issue. One of the senses is I think what's happening in other states is going to push the federal government to have to take a look at redefining marijuana from the Controlled Substances Act. You know, it's long past time that we take marijuana out of the Schedule One. Right, a complete rescheduling because it's I mean all, a lot of the studies have been pushed aside for a lot of years and we've had uh Irvin Rosenfeld on the show. He wrote a book called My Medicine and he he yeah. went and and testified in front of all these committees and the DEA and stuff because he was a federal uh, medical marijuana patient. And Correct. in his book he he writes about how they had their doctors saying that look, this is one of the safest substances known to man and the the panels just completely ignored all of that. And I think it's getting to the point now with the internet and with 
people being more comfortable about it that you know it's being pushed more into the mainstream which is forcing a conversation and that's what happened here it got pushed too much into the mainstream and it caused certain groups to take notice and those groups were well funded and they did what they needed to do to dismantle you know the the industry here and we don't they they absolutely flat out lied um and and you know i I followed montana simply because you have the most notable case right now with chris williams yeah yeah you know and code of the west and if you look at and i have you seen the movie yet no, Over not yet. I was, uh, me and my other co-hosts, we were at a lot of those symposiums and committee hearings that they were doing, and we watched it firsthand. And it was, the the things the people were saying on their side, it, it was just completely made up. And we had facts and evidence and research, and the, the committees just didn't want to look at it. You know, they were, I don't, I don't know, they yeah. were completely blind to it, which was appalling, because that's what we pay them for, you know, look at the <laughs> research. It's the propaganda, and I think I think that um, there's two things that are that are going to happen. I'm a, I believe in states' rights, um, and but I think when states like Montana basically undermine the scientific evidence that we need to from the federal portion, and Obama has the ability to do it. I, you know, it's. He just came out in the interview with Barbara Walters that I haven't had a chance to, to see, but I've read extensively about and talks about that it's up to Congress to change the law, that he's just part of the executive branch and that, that he doesn't have the ability to do. And that's a lie. He can force the DEA to reschedule marijuana to start from, from minimally, just get it out from Schedule 1 Place it into Schedule 2 if you need to, but it should really be at like a 3 or a 4. Yeah, at the very at, least. At, at the very so, – so that would do two things. The other thing that, that they can do, and there's currently some federal um, uh, congressional legislators from several different states based on what happened with Washington and with Colorado, is they could design a law and craft it that allows uh, a state-by-state option. So if a state passes a law that says, you know, under an ounce or, or whatever its guidelines are, that the DEA state stays out of it. Right. So you basically so I, put it back into the hands of the people and say on a state by state basis, do you or do you not want this allowed? And we correct. saw well, we saw here a lot of the excuses were that because it's still illegal federally, Montana gets federal funding, they're afraid to lose that. And we know these are just cop out excuses, but it's one correct. that we keep hearing over and over. So if it if the rescheduling happens, it will be less, you know, in the eyes of the federal government, something that they they really need to worry about. Plus, that'll open it up for more research. I mean, we're we're learning in the constraints that we have now. We're learning a lot. If if we didn't have to get Schedule One licenses and this and that to be able to research this plant more, I, I'm amazed at what they would be able to come up with. Well, you, I mean, you know that currently there is, in fact, a court case pending uh, in front of uh, the federal uh, courts with regard to rescheduling uh, marijuana based on Americans for Safe Access. Right. So, so you, I think what we have is, and one of the, the reasons why uh, there was an issue in the past was that um, when ASA came up in front of the court, that ASA as an organization didn't have standing. So what they did is they actually provided several 
uh, well-known medical marijuana patients to create that standing. And right. Michael uh, Krawitz, obviously, is, is one of the lead plaintiffs in, in the case. And so I think, I'm hoping by, I think it's like summer, that we should have some type of decision on that. Again, with that, uh, and if the DEA is forced to reschedule, that changes the nature of the conversation, and it opens up a lot of different doors. And I think all of us can agree, um, quite frankly, is that marijuana, as in all medicines, you know, or as in any type of substance, because I equate uh, marijuana or cannabis, I, I, don't, I don't even like to call it marijuana, you know, you do have two uses. I do believe that um, uh, right now, after my years of experience and seeing what my brother went through, is um, cannabis needs to be kept from kids. No different than alcohol, no different, you know, as a parent, you know, I, I have a 21-year-old son, and, and what I always said is, you know, you shouldn't be drinking, you shouldn't be you know, smoking pot or cigarettes or engaging in sexual relations until you are old enough to understand the consequence of the action. Sure. You know, maturity brings a lot to the conversation, and that's how we keep our children safe. We don't keep them safe by continuing to have marijuana uh, be a criminal matter. We, in fact, make our children more unsafe. There's more violence associated with with our prohibition laws. You know, drug dealers don't ask our kids for IDs. We don't have, you know, the mechanisms in place to truly educate our kids because the DEA and our federal government doesn't allow us to tell the truth to our children. There is an absolute failure in regards to drug education. We actually, we talked about that last episode. Uh, I was in one of the D.A.R.E. classes when I was in sixth grade, and and Kelsey didn't, she didn't know what D.A.R.E. was, so we had two different views. And yeah, it's completely, uh, I mean, they could take those resources and direct them somewhere else. And the thing about parents lying to their kids, it, it starts a really bad trend where once your child realizes that you're lying about something simple like this, what else did you lie about? You know, exactly. you're going to have a harder time parenting your child or earning their trust back if you continuously lie to them. Oh no, absolutely. And and really, you know, is is I'm I'm a social libertarian and a fiscal conservative. I do believe that there are places that our government should be in. And I believe one of the places our government should be in is in ending prohibition through the effective control and regulation of all drugs. Okay, that's LEAP's mission. We need to end prohibition and allow states to develop their own regulatory models for whatever they may be. But we know right now that prohibition, whether it's cannabis prohibition or heroin, you know, methamphetamine causes more problems to our society. We need to start treating drug addiction as a health issue. If you are a drug addict, it's a health issue. If you go out and you burglarize someone, you rape someone, you kill someone in a drug or a drunk driving accident, we need to address that behavior, which is against the law. But if you are an addict, or if you want to use cannabis in the privacy of your own home and you're a responsible adult and you don't get in a car, it's not 
law enforcement or the government's business. Well, it comes in. down to, you know, it's a victimless crime. Are you hurting anybody by sitting in your house, you know, smoking pot or or whatever you happen to be doing? As long as you're not hurting anybody, it seems Correct. like a no-brainer. But, and I mean, we've we've talked about this before a lot, that it's it's really not about the facts anymore. Like when this whole thing started in Montana back in 04, everyone made a big push to educate. You know, we have to educate our, our leaders in government. We have to educate our peers. And, and we've done a lot of that. And it really didn't seem to make a difference because it seems that they know the facts. They just prefer the alternate because it feeds so many of their systems that are in place. And you mentioned something in a video you had on the on the Leap site about changing from a punitive model to a rehabilitation model, which is kind of what you're talking about uh, with the, the criminal thing. They're not criminals. Sure. It's just a health problem. I, I was kind of wondering like, how you would do that when the majority of these systems that are in place have been dependent on that, that particular aspect of, of money or income or whatever for so long. Like, you're talking about a complete restructuring of a lot of the state prison systems and the law enforcement itself. And that's, oh, you, that's you a know big... what? You're, you're absolutely right, and you know you have to get. This is such a a complex subject right, because right. I I truly believe that ending prohibition is the linchpin to a significant numbers of problems in our society from a lot of different. Well, aspects. and if it was done properly, there would be Correct. enough resources that just from that agriculturally, recreationally, medically that would take care of a lot of these other problems. Sure, and you know what? And I believe that simply the, the experiment that's going to show Americans that it can work is by legalizing marijuana. And the problem is, is people equate full legalization with chaos. Right, and right. And so really the terminology and, and people who are, activists or working within drug policy reform need to always remember that words matter. Legalization scared people in Montana as it scared people in other places. And that's the reefer madness upbringing and that's the reefer a lot madness of issue. Right, and so right. you have to talk about appropriate control and regulation or taxation, I think that Colorado is a fabulous model, both from a medical marijuana perspective and for the future for legal perspective, because they designed a system that was a seed-to-sale system. I live in California. The problem with medical marijuana in California is that the legislators did not enact a strict regulatory process. They didn't bring people to the table like Colorado did. Colorado brought law enforcement into it. Medical marijuana patients, business dispensers. Yeah, it has to be all-encompassing. You can't just focus on one or the other because then you're going to have everybody from the other two jump in on that one, and then it's going to make it not mean what it was meant to mean in the first place. Which Correct. And and so I think you'll see both Colorado, I think, just... um, uh, set up a task force that's made up of a lot of different stakeholders that include the medical community, right. you know, Colorado Normal, you know, people that that this is going to impact law enforcement, you know, the DA's office, the whole bit. And so I think that 
in and of itself solves a lot of the different issues and problems. Well, in California, and I think similar to Montana, what ended up happening is that, um, how do I say this is, without, you know, slamming people, is some of the people that are involved in the medical marijuana business didn't police themselves. Right, they and didn't, we had that they, problem up here also with, you and, know, uh, those... Yeah. Yeah, you, you, I'm sure you read all about the Yeah, the and that here. creates significant issues for those people who are doing business right. Right, like it hurts the validity of the legitimate businesses that we're really helping people. Uh, you know, you can't just go around and say, hey, come, everyone come get your cards here and turn it into a big media circus because Correct. then it's, it's too upfront too fast. And as much as we want to be out front about this, you have to do it in steps because – the people are scared. You know, the government worked their way for so many years to frighten these people, and now we're fighting against that. You, you can't do it quickly. Yeah, the paradigm shift right. is, is, is coming, and, it, and it's at a tipping point. And I think, you know, there's a lot of hope with what Obama said, you know, but he said the same thing about medical marijuana patients. You know, is everyone, you know, the Department of Justice has said, well, we haven't arrested any medical marijuana patients. We just go after them. Right. The they were very careful here. about that here. They only only went after the dispensaries. And when there were patients in place, they were very careful about being not nice to them, but more courteous than they were to the, the people working at the dispensaries. Yeah, but, but again, how do you, and that's the dichotomies of the laws, is you have to have a, an approved governmental regulatory system in place right. that provides people medicine. I believe, and I've had a, a, a lot of different friends uh, that I know working within the movement in the last few years, that if it was not for medical marijuana, that they would not be alive today. Yeah, and we've it's seen that with Irvin and yeah, tons of people here and, and all over the place. And I mean, if yeah. you want to talk about looking at other uh, study cases, I mean, Portugal did the same oh. thing. They, they legalized it and said, you know, police yourselves, don't be crazy. And so far, it's worked fine. So we do have models of this in place in functioning societies, and it it's not chaos. You know? Yeah, it's, exactly. And it's a, it's shown, you know, things have gotten better over time after legalization. Yeah, crime rates go down and this and that. Like, yeah. it, it does well, but, work. But, but you, you need to be careful in the sense of Portugal didn't legalize. They, well, decriminal. They, 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 well, yeah, they didn't even, de- they, they did one step better. See, because decriminalization in America still attaches criminal penalties. All it means is, you know, in California, you, you get a ticket, and it's a $100 ticket. Right, it's just not you, priority. But if you don't take care of the ticket, there's still a criminal penalty. You can go to jail right. because, you're, because the ticket goes to warrant. Now, what, what Portugal did, which was tremendous, is they made it into a purely administrative issue. But there's still a black market, and they're still having the issues relative to the black market. So, you, so, so I would love, and it may be that that's going to be the tax that's going to happen. This is my personal opinion. This is not a leap opinion. Is that, you know, what we see in American society is we don't, you know, worry a great, huge, large shift, and redefining the rule of law is incredibly problematic. But, you know, if we fully legalize marijuana, and there's and the sky doesn't fall, which it's not going to. 
Right. And we all know that because there's still the same amount of people smoking either way. You're just making it, you know, less less of a problem of a criminal issue for those people. Yeah. So so what will happen is that may then in turn allow the great experiment of, okay, we're not willing to legalize all drugs yet because that's still a big scary word for people. We're willing to decriminalize like Portugal. And then once you see the decriminalization or depenalization is really the proper word, works, then maybe Americans will be willing to end prohibition and allow a state-by-state level. But, you know, you start talking about the federal issues, and this is something that, that a lot of people don't address and don't talk about, that if you sit down and you talk to even the most conservative judges or you, you know, hear uh, speeches or read newspaper accounts, and um, Antonio Scalia, who is literally the most conservative judge on the Supreme Court, said about a year ago, maybe it was a little bit longer ago, that the biggest mistake that ever happened to the, the federal judiciary was the uh, allowing uh, the federal government to uh, prosecute drugs at the federal level. And he's not the only one that says that. And so let's, I, I think there's something to be said about taking the federal government out of drug prosecutions and putting that power back to the states, which again, you know, is... At least it's 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 not it's a step in the big overpowering of the federal government. Let the federal government concentrate on what they should be doing, which is the economy and our border. Right, and, and I think if you, know, you did take those things, if you did take their their resources and their focus and attention away from all of this drug war and focus it, like you said, on economy, making jobs, stuff like that, I think we would see a tremendous increase in all of those things because. You know, they would have so much more time and and money to to spend on them. It oh would, yeah, it would get better. Now, uh, we had an email from a listener last week uh, it, from Vermont, and he he brought up Vice President Biden, and this is something I've been reading about, and I wanted to talk about oh. with you because you you spent a lot of time talking about what Obama says and everything, and there is a big an, another large group, you know, that that he works with that isn't so into this, and so what uh, Ryan says from Vermont is that. Uh, you guys should announce the statement Vice President Biden made about how as long as he's vice president, we are very far off from legalization being a reality uh, and that there is an ongoing petition that needs signatures before January 9th, which is uh, a good thing to get that in front of the White House. But I've been reading a lot about this and the somebody that was close to him said that, yeah, he he continues to guide the administration's hardline drug policy. The vice president has a special interest in this issue. So what, what do you think? He is one of the biggest problems. And I mean, just read. I, I didn't know a lot of this uh, about what he has been responsible for. It says, yeah. if you hate the way federal prosecutors use RICO laws to take aim at drug offenders, that was Biden. Uh, how about the abomination, this federal asset for federal laws? That's Biden. Think about federal prosecutors have too much power in drug cases. That's Biden. Biden. Uh, the title drugs are. That was him. Uh, You know, there are just so many things. Uh, He led the effort to make steroids a Schedule 3 drug and has been among the blowhardiest of the blowhards when it comes to sports and performance-enhancing drugs. Uh, Absolutely. Plan uh, Colombia, plan Afghanistan. There's a lot of... So how do we... How how is that... What can you do about that? I mean, it's... 
Obama can say one thing and him and his group can say something else and we can still have the most raids we've seen since Bush. And I mean, you know, you know, the, the numbers and the stats. Yeah. You, you know, I think one of the things that is critically important to, you know, a national um, view uh, or national participation is that one of the things that we don't do well enough is ensure that the people that we elect understand that it used to be taboo to be against the war on drugs. It isn't anymore. You know, from a polling standpoint, you know, you have like 82% of all Americans that have been polled in the past that say that the war on drugs is a failure. You have, you know... Even the polls using that legalization word, we've seen the country more... 51 to 49 on the side of legalization. And those polls are plus minus, you know, plus or minus five, but still it's, it's a close majority. Yeah. But what we, yeah, but what we have to do is we have to give our elected officials, I don't call them leaders because they shouldn't be leading us. They should be following the will. Right. They work for us. We kind of forget that sometimes. (laughs) And they do. And well, not only do we forget it, but they forget it. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, and and so, so what happens is we have to become much more politically aware. We have to make demands of our politicians. We have to engage in, picking up the telephone and calling not just your local city council person, not just your state representative to your, to your state government, but to the federal, to our congressmen, to our senators, and say, you know what, I'm tired of you doing this. And then if they continue to do it, then you have to, you know, it's the old put up or shut up. You've got to find another candidate. You have to... Uh, uh, you know, donate money. You have to donate time to get somebody else elected. Yeah, we and, see and, I, we and I think that's part of the big issue. We are not civically active enough. Right. And we, we I do a couple of uh, technology shows also. And when the whole SOPA and PIPA thing was happening, we saw a really amazing use of technology in rounding up numbers and getting people to flood the 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 people in charge with messages and phone calls and all of this saying no you cannot mess with dns in the internet because you're going to break stuff and they didn't understand that but what we also saw is after that happened people celebrate victory and then they think everything's done but what they don't realize is that there's five more sopas out there just waiting to be hidden into other bills and then you also run into the problem of uh, when when you when you call people to arms so many times, they start getting sick yeah. of it, and it's like, well, Correct. is this one really a legitimate cause, or is this just something that's going to go away? And so you can only round up the troops so many times. And I feel like Correct. that's where Montana failed: is that we did it the first time, and we did it when the repeal thing tried to happen. But then that third time, people are like, uh, "You guys got it. We're not going to go out and vote today," and you know, it, it failed. And I feel like that's the same thing that's going to happen here is we're going to round the troops up so many times and you're going to get that fatigue happening. And it's going to it's going to cause a big problem because the people that are making these laws, they have no fatigue when it comes to this. They will oh, lobby. Not, they have money, number one. Right. You, know, and you, you, you go into um, lobbying. You know, I there's something 
that's critically important to me that, that I think sometimes we don't touch enough. And Obama said this recently, you know, is it, Congress needs to come up with laws because the president is in the executive branch. Well, yeah, you're right, Mr. President, you're in the executive branch, but you do have power. Now, law enforcement, as was the judiciary, was placed into, well, I shouldn't say that the judiciary has their own branch, but law enforcement was placed into the executive branch. The DAs, our prosecutors, are placed into the executive branch. The DOJ is placed into the executive branch, but, but what we tend to forget is that we have gone outside of our job um, and mission by now engaging actively in legislation. Law enforcement lobbying, the DA's office, you know, federal prosecutors should not be allowed to lobby for laws. Well, that goes back to the job. That goes back to the structural problem. And that causes huge problems, you know, because now we talk out of both sides of our mouth. Because what do you hear cops say? It's conflict of interest. Can't do anything because that's the law. Well, you go out then when people try to change the law because it's the right thing to do. And you lobby against it. Yep. It's a complete conflict of interest. And, I mean, you do see a lot that people are are anti-police and stuff like that. And what they fail to understand is that it's really not them. They're just following the laws that are set by those higher up. And it all rolls downhill. So if you really want to be mad at someone, you should be mad at your local legislators and and at that level. And I think people, after the comments Obama's made recently, people are now becoming skeptic because it's kind of almost deja vu. You know, we've heard this Well, you see headlines in Fox News like Obama won't go after marijuana use in Colorado, right, low Washington priority, State, etc. But, but then they raid, yeah. you know, all these places, and and it'll be interesting to see what how this plays out. You know, if they do stay safe, if we see them go after not the consumers but the purveyors of these businesses, we don't know yet. It's just now happening, right. so it will be interesting to see. Uh, do you think they'll be pretty safe, Diane? Do you, as a let's say you're a Colorado business owner and you want to open up a dispensary? now under this new legislation do you feel safe doing that or are you still worried about the feds you know what is um i think that um you know just like chris williams i i i think that there's some risk but it's going to be mitigated simply based on um a lot of the issues that are going on which is the popularity uh, that both in Washington and Colorado design uh, their initiatives a little bit different. In right. Washington, it's going to be government-owned retail stores, just like they do with alcohol. Right. Okay? In Colorado, yeah, it's going to be for-profit businesses, but I think that the people are going to be so angry if the government comes down too hard that it, it, it will, in fact, backfire on the government. I think that's a bigger political question. And is Obama, although he won this election, is he going to allow his reputation to be further scarred and muddied by an overreaction by the, by the Justice Department to this? Right. And now's the time when he actually can, if he wanted to, do something big like that because he's not worried about getting reelected again. You know, he's. Once he's done here, he's done. So 
He could. He could leave by making history and doing some sort of executive order that, or the rescheduling thing. I mean, there's a lot of different ways it could go. And the comments can well, be partially yeah, interpreted yeah, you, now that remember, way. remember, both, both Washington and Colorado uh, marijuana initiatives polled better and, and, and put, got more votes than the president. Right. They were quite popular. <laughs> yeah, they were quite popular. And so that tells you something. And, you know, it's interesting because there's a conversation that hasn't even been had is, is how do we make the GOP relevant? And you have seen some uh, incredibly smart uh, political commentators, you know, from the National Review and from other uh, very conservative organizations who have always said, Ending prohibition and the drug war is symptomatic of a overreach of government. And if we want to make our party relevant again, we have to understand and adopt the principles that small government is small government, whether it's marijuana or business regulation. And that's going to happen. I, I really, I really, truly believe that that the election this year was a big red flag to the G. I, you know, I'm a Republican, and I'll, even though I this this year I voted for uh, Gary Johnson and the Libertarian Party because I'm so mad. And, yeah, I think we all did too. <laughs> yeah, I mean it. You know, but so I think that's the other thing that we're going to see is the reemergence, hopefully, of a strong third party candidate. You know, if we can get more Rand Pauls or, or Ron Pauls or Gary Johnsons and Judge Jim Gray and, and those folks to really, really continue to actively speak out to show the, the hypocrisy of our government. You know, is you can't be a Republican and fund the mass incarceration of people on the scale that we have. You can't continue to throw money on the war on drugs and the war on terror as a Republican without any meaningful metrics of success. You know, if you are a Republican who believes in, you know, the Constitution like they always espouse, you can't ignore the fact that the war on drugs and the war on terror has done more to violate American civil liberties and the foundation of what America is supposed to be about. You have to talk about it. And I think that these votes are historic because it's forcing people to talk about it. We have to address those issues. We have to talk about what does America really mean. Yeah, and it's not even just us here. I mean, we're seeing it, like you mentioned, the the Portugal thing. We just see a a piece in The Telegraph about the deputy prime minister and him saying, you know, we're losing the war on drugs on an industrial scale. It's time we tell the truth. And, you know, and just we the more of this we see, the more accepted it will be. And people will start to open their eyes and see like, wow, this has done a huge disservice to, you know, the families it's destroyed to the people. I mean, to everybody. No, absolutely. You know, it it, uh, and that's, I think, the personal experience and professional experience has, has led me to recognize that I have to write what I did wrong from my law enforcement perspective. I, you know, one of the things that I've always talked about, one of the things that I've, that I've always spouted off, and even when I was a, a young police officer and, you know, got uh, promoted uh, to lieutenant, is I never stopped hammering our guys about what it means to be 
a peace officer. And so, you know, the statutory authority in California uh, to be a police officer doesn't say we're a police officer, guys. It says we're peace officers. And as peace officers, there's a very different connotation than being a police officer. As a peace officer, you serve your communities. You work with them to design programs to make your communities the best that they can. Sometimes we have to police people, but not all the time. And so we have, because of rhetoric, you know, going back, you know, long time, you know, go, go back to Richard Nixon or even go back to, you know, the Harrison Tax Act or the Marijuana Tax Act, is the rhetoric of the war on drugs has changed the jobs of law enforcement to simply policing people. And you know what? That doesn't take any brains. Right. It's, it's always looking over the shoulder. A, law and... is a black and white law takes no imagination, no creativity. That's, that's not what policing should be about. And so we have to get off this soapbox of demonizing drug addicts, which we've always done, you know, of, of tying in, you know, Bush recently, a couple of years ago, I think in 2009, said, you know, if you're a drug addict and you quit drugs, you help us win the war on terror. Really? I mean, that is just an incredibly simplistic yeah. theory. Like, that's all I mean, it's going to take? Well, crap. All right. I mean, like, come yeah. on, you can't be serious. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, you had Bill Bennett, the drug czar, that said that the writ of habeas corpus should be suspended for all drug offenses. Yeah, that's, yeah. You know, that we should... He should have been fired head. on the spot for that. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And, and so those are the things I think that has led law enforcement down this merry path when, when you hear this all the time. Well, it's an insulation. It's like a filter bubble. You know, you, once you, you get into that group, that's all you hear is things from that group. So these guys, I mean, the, I'm sure the longer and not everybody, I'm sure it doesn't apply to everybody, but it's, it's a group mentality like that. And I can see how it's easy to breed that sort of idea that, you know, we're on this other level and we're here to bust scumbags all day. It's like, well, and that, and that's the problem, right? Part of the problem. Yeah, and, <laughs> right. and, that, and that's exactly it. I mean, is in the last three years, I have been with people that I have found to be, to have more integrity and more ethics, and uh, that I would trust more than I would with some of the law enforcement officers I knew. Right. And, and so, there's the, the, again, it's that paradigm. And, and I always thought that I was a really well-rounded person. I mean... I loved, I loved law enforcement. I, I had some great law enforcement uh, friends. Uh, but I really made an effort to have a normal life outside of work. And I found that once I left it, it wasn't as normal as I thought it was. You well, know, Once and, you're looking so, out into it. Correct. And so the more I distanced myself, the more I was able to really critically analyze a lot of the stuff going on you know, both personally with my brother and the drug addiction and, you know, his death and, and the, the very, very bad law enforcement contacts he had, which, which I never understood because he had, I actually, I, I let him spend like two and a half months in jail. He had a girlfriend that was a heroin addict and, and the cops got into his car based on allegedly that he was on, uh, on probation. Well, he wasn't. The cops 
flat out lied about it. And, and you know, I sat there wow. and my brother called me up and I said, you know what, you can stay in jail. Let him stay in jail for two and a half months, went to court and saw the case thrown out because the cop lied. Right. And his defense attorney was able to prove that he lied. And, I, and it really, to me, was stunning because I just sat there and said, I would never lie over a drug offense. Who cares? If someone's a drug addict, you know, even when I worked narcotics, it was like, you know, if you don't, they don't have drugs today, they're going to have drugs, you know, three weeks from now. It would never be worth violating your code of ethics, lying on the stand, or doing anything else like that. Right. Or in that, I mean, it's not going to help that person in the long run anyway. If, I mean, if you want to help them, there's programs, I'm sure, that, that yeah. would do that. But, you know, doing that to, to justify the, the ends of what's going to happen, it doesn't yeah. seem. Yeah. And, that's, and I think that's, and that, that's the other issues right now is we're very much involved in a, a very Machiavellian, you know, the ends justify the means in order to, um, to change, um, to, to win this war. And even though, you know, the president and, and the drugs are and everybody else says, you know, we're not, they don't use the terminology, the war on drugs. They don't say that anymore. And in fact, all the people that are coming out and, and speaking to the status quo, the, you know, the Kevin Sabats of the world and, you know, all the people who continue to say is our policy is the correct moral policy and we're doing the right thing, they change their, their terminology. But the behavior of the government is still as bad as it was. They just don't use the terminology anymore. But the, they act the same way. Right. And that's that's simply for our benefit, right? It's just for the Correct. benefit of the public it's so true. that we look at it differently. Like, oh, it's not a war anymore, so it's okay, yeah. and we won, right? Like, well, no, yeah. we wasted well, no, a lot of yeah, money. We didn't win anything. Yeah, we haven't won anything. And, you know, they just, they just yeah, like one day Gail Karolowski said, the, the war on drugs is over. Really? then why are you still funding, you know, to the tune of about $55 billion a year? Yeah, that means we can focus that money elsewhere then, right, guys? Exactly. Oh, no, not yet? Okay, well, then it's not over. Yeah, I mean, how many Pell Grants would that be? How much Yeah, oh, it's uh, phenomenal what, what that money could do elsewhere, and each year. I mean, that's each year you get that much money. Like, come on, right. you couldn't do anything yeah. better than, than this? Yeah, and, and you know, when people argue back and forth about how much the war on marijuana is, really is, uh, you know, but even a, on conservative basis is what you see is that it's still probably somewhere in the vicinity of, you know, five to eight billion dollars that we're spending just going after people, whether they're medical marijuana uh, providers or users or, you know, parole violations or whatever it happens to be. That's still enough money to fund uh, a, a legitimate program that would that would do something to benefit our society, or just yeah. to even eliminate the deficit. Right, and it'll be interesting to see how Washington, Colorado, how that affects their states individually, because now it's being funded into the school systems and to helping drug addicts and right. recovery programs. Yep. They're going to improve a lot more aspects of their group community than you I mean, know, they're dropping charges on yeah, people already. Yeah, overall, oh. every, all around, it's it's win. Uh, I want to ask you about what do you think about the whole impairment versus 
uh, when when people are driving and they're worried about I was I five hundred two in Washington that has the the uh, per se which is I think what five nanograms right I just what do you think about the whole should these cops be doing blood tests on people or should you be looking for impairment if you just smell pot but the person's not impaired clearly there is no problem but there it, it seems like this is going to turn really bad if it if it goes through is I, I think there's some concern and I understand the concern but what you have to understand which, which it's it's not so simplistic in the sense of people and I don't care if you're a recreational marijuana user or a um, uh, you know a medical marijuana patient or you're a you know prescription opiate medical patient if you're going to get in the car, everyone has to understand that nowhere in the Constitution is it our right to drive a car. Right. It's a privilege. That, it, that, that's a privilege. So we have an obligation to everybody to make certain that we're driving in a, in a safe fashion. Now, the cops are not going to be able, if, if your registration is paid, if your taillights work, if your driving pattern is fine, the cops are not going to be able to randomly stop you and ask you for a blood test. They couldn't do that. I mean, we've been arresting people for under the influence of marijuana or alcohol or a combination of whatever it happens to be for years. And so whether... There's the, the five nanogram per se level or no level. Cops are still going to do their job, and they're still going to be vig- vigilant about DUI. So the question really is going to become is it should be. See, all DUI levels have to have two different things. You have to demonstrate both impairment, which is what the per se level is about, as well as driving performance, and objective symptoms of intoxication. So you're not going to be able to, you know, if you're in a a, a random checkpoint and there's no odor, you know, if if you've smoked or taken some edibles or something three hours before and there's no objective symptoms of intoxication, you're not going to have to worry, just like if you had a glass of wine. And so, I, you know, I think that I understand why people are concerned, but I think they also need to, to do what they should do to protect themselves, which is to ensure that their driver's license is valid, the brake lights work, registration's paid, all that stuff, and be responsible. Does and, it, uh, the, the levels differ in people and stuff. It just seems like they're trying to, to standardize one level yeah. that's going to for everybody and it doesn't seem like I, I don't know it just seems like a weird way to go about it to me maybe i'm not understanding it fully well, but. well you know what is at this point is in some aspects you know you, there's cases to be made with one person can smoke one hit and be high right and someone else can smoke five joints and not be high right so but it's a combination it's not just this the strict you know, per se level. And so, again, you know, is no different than an alcohol level. And I think what's going to happen is legislatively 
the citizens in Washington uh, can push through their legislators to change the dynamics of that and work on it as better science comes through. Now, you know, I've been arguing for the last three years that everyone, you know, is talking about how, you know, there's so much more driving under the influence of marijuana than there was. And none of that, I believe, is correct in some senses because, like in California, our fatal traffic accident level is at the lowest that it's ever been. Yet, I know there are hundreds and thousands of people who are using medical marijuana. And so since 1996, our fatal traffic accident rate has gone down since we've accepted the use of marijuana. When you can make the case easily that those people more, more times than not are better off sitting at home smoking pot than they are going out to the bar and drinking. And a lot of people prefer that. And so they have that easy access. They're able to do that. And there you go. You see the the fatality rates decline. We saw that here, too. That was part of the the pages of paper that we printed out for these legislative hearings to bring. It was, you know, those statistics and everything. And it all showed that, you know, this is not having a negative effect in any criminal or driving fatality, any of those aspects. Yeah. And so I, I, you know, my my thing would be to the residents of Washington who choose to smoke pot, I would minimize driving within a reasonable period of time afterwards. Everybody knows their different levels. I mean, you know, for me, a two glasses of wine and I'm at a .08. For someone else, from an alcohol perspective, it may take them six glasses of wine. And so people have to, you know, have to understand themselves. And I think what I see with, with a lot of both recreational and medical marijuana users is people understand their own, their personal dosages. Right. You have to know your limits, what you're able to handle in what situations you're in. And and what what I've seen is most of these people aren't using marijuana to get blitzed out of their minds. Right. And I think that's different than with with alcohol sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, different. I mean, why diff- you're doing this? It's a different this. thing. I mean, I don't. Yeah. I don't. You know, in twenty, almost twenty-two years as a cop, I never once went to someone's house who was so blitzed out on marijuana that they beat their wife and kids, or raped and pillaged the neighbors, or right, right. you know, uh, got in a car and and caused a fatal traffic accident just solely because of marijuana. So, and I think that people don't understand that dynamic either. Right. And I mean, there's, there's tons of statistics and referenced evidence that shows that it's just a matter of, of putting it into a nice, pretty picture that the public at large can see and easily, you know, see the pattern and say, oh, wow, we were wrong this whole time. Yeah. Well, and, but again, that's forcing our government to stop using propaganda. Right, on the Ooh. negative side. And paradigm and, yeah, <laughs> and, and people need to understand is, you know, what when you have the DEA and other law enforcement groups or, you know, district attorneys groups and other folks who, you know, come out and start talking about being against legalizing marijuana for all these horrible bad reasons, they have a self-serving reason in some aspects. You know, what's going to happen to the DEA if they can't go after marijuana, you know, there's going to be some justification for reducing the funding towards their organization. 
And I mean, there's plenty of other things. I mean, there's a massive prescription pill epidemic that is hitting everywhere, even Canada. I mean, it's literally everywhere. There's meth everywhere. I mean, there are other things they could be doing. It it always seemed like to me that the, the pot area was the low-hanging fruit where we can roll in here with guns and we're not going to get shot at we're not going to and no one's going to put up a fight really for the most part and this is great it's not every case i'm sure but for the most part your bet's safe that you know this is going to be in out easy and we're done rather than go after someone who's methed out or someone on a pill binge you know the there's different danger levels involved i feel like and the the marijuana one is the way low-hanging fruit that they just prefer to do it seems like you're right. It's easier. It's easier to walk into a legitimate medical marijuana dispensary. Oh, and even that, yeah. If it's a business, it, and, here's their business and, hours. Just go in. Yeah. You know that's. It, it, you, and so what you're seeing is you're seeing the, the you know so much of the DEA stuff is marijuana, and and, and I would completely agree with you. You know, is that we ran a meth lab crew. M- meth is horrifically more dangerous than marijuana. If if I as you know if I was the head of the DEA, my emphasis would never have been on marijuana. It'd be on heroin, methamphetamine, guns, violence. Well, especially in Montana, like here we saw the Montana Meth Project. Which what did they really do? They made a bunch of ugly, disgusting billboards. They had yep. projects in clothes. Yes, but. None of that. They they went more hard on the marijuana dispensaries that were legit than they did yeah. on, on helping the Montana Meth Project and cleaning up that. You know, it's I, I don't know. I mean, they, they made steps by the Sudafed thing and gas stations and watching certain things. But it's they weren't you didn't see raids at the level of what we saw with the medical cannabis stuff. You know, sure. And, and I think some of that was. Um, simply because of the low-hanging fruit issue. It was out there, it was in front of people, which again goes back to probably some of the most successful dispensaries that I've ever walked into and toured have been the ones that have nothing in front that shows that they are in fact dispensing that. Exactly. And so so there's the whole, I think there's that perception, you know, there's, there's, um, I call it the sexualization of medical marijuana, the like 420 that. nurses, and all right. that stuff that's out there that what people don't understand is, you know, if, if it was recreational, it would be no different than alcohol. Fine, you know, adult-level advertising. Right, you used to see that with beer commercials okay. and all. Yeah, yeah. They tried to do the same thing, which was funny to me here. I didn't understand the point of advertising because you couldn't get new patients like that. You had to go through still a, a pretty specific way, and then yeah. once you were with a dispensary, that's where you had to stay. So it the, that whole, like, here's our sign and everything, it's like, yeah, everyone who goes here knows where you're at you're just advertising yourself to those who may not be too cool with it and then you know that's what we saw happen as a result yeah 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 Yeah. and and so you know there's that whole balance is is you have to be a good neighbor you know i i write a a guest column for uh the 420 times out here in california it's called ask an arc and you know i've talked about in kind of a tongue-in-cheek way you know if you go get your medicine you know wait till you get home don't light up in the car in front of the business. That's bad manners, and you hurt 
Yeah, and we saw some Everybody of that here else. with with Ian, who uh, used to run one of the dispensaries uh, before it got raided, and he would run out and tell people to get the hell off of the property, and if you're going to do this, just don't even come back. You know, like he was really adamant about keeping the the place looking good and keeping it comfortable and not having. Yeah people do that and don't loiter around here like this isn't a place to hang out this is a business just like anything else you know and right now this is a very special business so don't bring unwanted attention to it and it took him doing that a few times before people realize that like oh yeah duh i shouldn't be an idiot about this yeah yeah when you go get your wine you don't pop it open yeah exactly you know who does the wino and you know where he sleeps right there where he's drinking so it's yeah, you yeah. don't want that that look to it, definitely, especially in these these early times of of what's happening. Yeah, yeah, but, we, but we... there's, I mean, there's so many different things, but I think we're, on, you know, I think we're in the right level. You know, I think that that the states have a right to fight the federal government. I think that the federal government has overreached in a lot of our personal lives, right. and um, I'd like to see the the whole supremacy clause issue. Let's lay that to bed. You know, let, let's start being smart about um, how we critically analyze the amount of money that we're putting into something. You know, is there's, there's been no metric of success with the war on drugs. I mean, if you look at, at pot, when I was a kid in the 1970s, it was still uh, available anywhere. You could, doesn't matter. You know, today, right, and that has not changed one, one bit. It, it's even more available, and the prices have dropped, and the potency has gone up, which tells you that, that the whole issue with the DEA and how they measure success is wrong. You know, they, they talk about um, how their goal every year is to capture 15%. That's their goal and and capturing 15% of the drugs that are entering the United States. Well, and their real goal mainly is keeping those prisons full. They have those percentage quotas that they're proud of, and that's how they judge their success as well. And that's that's a terrible, like, you have more people in jail for this. That's not a good thing, you know? That's the opposite of a good thing. And how are you calling this victory? How much did you spend on that and continue to spend? And that's exactly it. But, But even worse than that, you know, is that um, it's up into the justice system. You know, the rule of law is is not based on uh, the overcriminalization of our society. Right. And, and and what's interesting, again, you know, you have conservative movements and conservative groups. There's a, a group out of Texas called Right on Crime. Now, they don't believe in legalization, but what they have basically said, and it's a great website because they have a lot of good articles on it that talks about the effect of overcriminalization on our society and how every state needs to work on reducing their prison population, keeping right. people out of jail, providing programs that lead to success. And that seems like common sense, but it's clearly not. It, yeah, and, and again, you know, like in California, a lot of that has to do with law enforcement lobbying. Is In right. California, you have uh, uh, several, but the, the three most notable law enforcement unions and, and organizations that use lobbying very effectively is the California Prison Union, um, the, uh, who contributes millions of dollars every year into getting politicians elected uh, and in order to get economic benefits for their organization or to build more prisons or other things. 
the California Narcotics Officers Association that perpetuates the lies and propaganda about medical marijuana. So mer- medical marijuana has been legal since 1996, and the California Narcotics uh, Officers Association provides the training for the law for all the law enforcement, and they get paid to do it through police officer standards and training, and their training is how to undermine the law. Right. Okay? So, and then you have the California Chiefs Association that fights, any reform through the use of lobbyists. I mean, those, those between those three organizations, they're spending multi-million dollars in trying to not allow any type of reform to be done. It's job security. It's job security. Absolutely. At, it's money at the in their world's, pocket. You know, at, at their benefit and not mm-hmm. ours, at, at our... Yeah. So, yeah, all right. Well, absolutely. hey, we're we're about out of time here. Is there anything else you wanted to mention, or any any places you'll be talking you want to tell people about, or any places you write regularly? Or I noticed you know I found what? your Twitter is, page. Is I do a lot of speaking on uh, uh, college campuses, Rotary clubs, and and uh, what I would suggest to people, though, depending on where you live, if you're part of a business group or an organization, is Leap has speakers all across the nation, and if if you're interested in hearing a member of Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, is contact the LEAP Speakers Bureau. It's all online at www.leap.cc. Uh, there's some great information there. You can become a member of LEAP, uh, even though you're not a former criminal justice professional. We have, I think, like 80,000 community members now that support our mission. And, and it's with the help of, of radio stations like you guys, you know, thank you so much for being on and the community that LEAP is able to drive the message. I was fortunate as LEAP flew me out to Colorado, and I spent five, there, five days there talking to Republican women's groups during September about the election. That's excellent. And, yeah, they're always, they're always really good about getting a hold of us when there's new, interesting stuff to talk about in the news with uh, people of your expertise. It's always good to hear uh, a perspective from from your guys' side. Absolutely, not not a problem. But you know what is the other the other place is we need to get more women involved in helping the end prohibition. Leap's yeah. got a great cops and moms uh, um, coalition that is making wonderful strides. Get involved with you know women's groups out there that are working with legislators to help in this terrible mess. Yeah, there's a lot of good groups too about like parents and, and women that uh, that yep. have kids on Facebook about that because that's another big problem is that some of these kids do have these weird diseases that this happens to help, but then they get really looked down upon. They'd rather have the kids on like uh, Ritalin or something like that yep. than than this, and it's so they, they definitely show the support and everything, and it's it's good until this ends. That's what needs to happen. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate being on with you. All right. Thank thanks, you. Diane. Have a great day. Bye. Diane Goldstein from Leap. You guys can check out her Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash Diane M. Goldstein. And on her Leap page, we'll put links to that in the show notes at hotboxpodcast.com. Hey, you got anything else to say before we get out of here? You got to go to work. <laughs> I got to go to work now. That's, <laughs> Fun that's for you. For All right, well, I think that's it then. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll be back next week, probably Sunday, maybe Saturday. You know, just follow hotboxpodcast.com slash Twitter and uh, the Facebook page and the Google Plus page, and you'll know exactly when the show is live. 
uh, and check out the site and subscribe to the show. You can leave us a message, 406-204-4687. And we'll catch you guys next week. Thanks. Bye. If you like you like this is where you need to be. If you like weed, this is where you need to be. Thank you for listening to the Hot Box Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Hot Box Podcast.